Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Swords, Sworcery, and Dragons, and in Dungeons, and all that kind of pathfindering adventure we get into here. Uh, you are once again listening to some Shackled Skulls Adventure Time with uh, Patrick, aka your GM, the irascible pirate lord of the Seven Seas himself, here to introduce you once more to the world of Pathfinder, to Galarian and the amazing storytelling that can happen when you dive into Paizo products with your friends. And speaking of friends, of course, I have another very special one with me here tonight, all the way from Georgia and the Cosmic Crypt Podcast. It's Rebecca, aka Alindra, aka Talar, aka Zinnia. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, it is so good to be here. I'm very excited. I'm practicing saying things in the accent of the world, like Georgia. Ja, Is that Georgia. How they say it? Georgia. <laughs> yeah. It's like I get in my pirate voice next. But uh, Rebecca, you know why I mentioned all of your Starfinder character names, of course, right? Because this one's different? Well, because all of your character names thus far had ended in a feminine letter A. And I for sure thought that trend was going to continue here in Pathfinder <laughs> times. Uh, but yeah, forging new ground in fantasy naming conventions. We have technically played Pathfinder before. Uh, not a ton of it, you know, was you know focused on, on Starfinder, but we, we played TTRPGs before that in a, in a homebrewed Pathfinder first edition game that we played going on well over three or four years ago at this point. Uh, uh, what what do you remember of swinging a sword back then, playing Pathfinder? Not not a lot. Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and especially since that one was like a Final Fantasy version of it or whatever. Yeah, it, it was, it was um, so homebrew stuff. Different. It was using kind of the same base rules, but um, it was one of the first times I saw like one of those fan projects that had embraced the rule system and kind of like built on top of it. Um, and you had indeed a sword swinging character. The, I mean, it, it was not a Lindra, but it, it wasn't too it different end, as far as melee damage did, was concerned. It did end in a though. And yes, my, <laughs> uh, yeah, her name was Astoria actually, but uh, yeah, my, uh, I do have a tendency to like uh, characters that wield you know, swingy sword style weapons. So, uh, yeah, Alindra Astoria was a knight, so pretty, pretty typical uh, right. sort of very, character. But even in World of Warcraft, fantasy. I played a, I played a paladin in uh, World of Warcraft. So I, that's been kind of my go-to for a long time. Makes sense. Makes sense. So that they also had spellcasting, of course, right? And in some, they could heal. Um, yeah. If it's anything like. Uh, Pathfinder Paladins, at least. But uh, yeah, playing a little little bit different this time in, in Pathfinder. Um, but yeah, this is really your first pun intended deep dive into into Galarian, into Pathfinder's adventure paths and the, the campaign setting, which is, I mean, almost... 150 or so books, I think, in in the same world, uh, which is pretty crazy. When you think about Starfinder, it's still only got about 25 <laughs> at this point of uh, of recording out, and um, that uh, oh, I guess maybe 26 or 27. But it, it's it's this huge world, and we're only going to be diving into just like a little sliver of it. 
but the one of the most fun slivers, uh, pirates. Are, are you excited about pirate action? Very, very excited. I'm I'm not a super uh, expert on pirates, so we'll see how this goes. I know some other people on the podcast are huge fans. Feel like I need to go and break out my Pirates of the Caribbean DVDs. Uh, I know who you're talking about? <laughs> Those are classic, of course. Um, I will say, like the the Starfinder APs, there's definite movie and literature um, kind of influences in the the storytelling and the writing. Um, but yeah, it's um, Paizo's a company with over a, a decade of Avenger Path writing under their belts. So this one came fairly early on the uh, the Skull and Shackles AP. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have to say I'm really excited to play uh, Pathfinder because I know it has such a, a breadth of lore and uh, such a world to explore, but at the same time, it's really intimidating knowing how much there is. So I feel like by uh, doing this, hopefully uh, with it being more pirate-focused, a mm-hmm. little more themed perhaps, it's a little it is, less intimidating yeah. because it's just, it's like you say, it's just that one sliver of the world. Maybe it'll be a little more limited and I don't have to be quite so intimidated by knowing everything about Galarian. <laughs> yeah, I mean if we were adventuring in and around the inner sea there are, you know it's kind of like the Europe equivalent there's dozens if not hundreds of different peoples and places and in things to kind of know about but here in the, the shackles uh, you just gotta worry about the, the winds in your sails and the, the sea underneath your boat Speaking of which, let's just let's just dive right into it. Let's get into the adventure. Astride the very wide and meandering Yonda Bakari River, drawn down from the, the arid hinterlands of the Mindspin Mountains, lies a city just drenched in history and awash with with life. Magnamar, uh, known as the, the City of Monuments to a a long-dead civilization is built beneath the immense destroyed bridge of the Irespan and is a gem of the Verisian coastline. Trade from the river coming into and out of the inner sea keeps the city afloat and the city's merchants drowning in coin. Uh, Into its winding streets and district we find thousands of Magnamarians this this particular day going about their business. Hustlers kind of prey on the the gullible in the shadow of the underbridge, the colossal spanning destroyed structure that some ancient giant people built in centuries, if not millennia past. And uh, here in, in the shadow, we see cut purses active in broad daylight, but given shade by the massive causeway. Uh, up a little further, there are merchants of the region from as far away as Turtleback Ferry arriving in the, the city's massive gates and, and through Beacons Point. And they bring with them huge rolls of cloth and creatures and crops, iron ore from the hills to the north, as well as things like fine glass from Sandpoint. And it's among the bustle, these commercial stalls, that we find a, a younger and a very slender girl walking the, the market, kind of taking in prices, listening to appraisals of, of finery and precious stones. Uh, Rebecca, tell us what we are looking at, who we're looking at with your, your character. What is, 
What does she look like as a, a younger tween or teen or, or young lady? Yeah, um, she is uh, rather petite, uh, definitely a very slender um, girl. Uh, she has long, silky black hair uh, that goes about mid-back, uh, and um, she has some freckles that dot her nose, and just very strikingly gorgeous violet eyes. Mm. Um, and um, she also has slightly pointed ears. What kind of... Uh... Uh, clothes is she wearing walking walking around these merchant stalls? Um, she has an affinity for leather. Uh, mm-hmm. She likes the way it smells and feels and looks. Um, so she's wearing um, some uh, leather pants and um, a leather jacket. And uh, if she's incognito at this point in time, um, then mm-hmm. she would have a shawl over her head, um, hiding her ears and um, sort of shading her face. Yeah, not wanting to get spotted here, perhaps, as this is sometimes a rougher part of town. Uh, who are you? What's it, what's your character's name? Don't leave us in suspense any longer. Her name is Ilaris. Ilaris Delcarin. And we've been through multiple months of character creation and, uh, and talking about your character. But as far as the Pathfinder 2nd Edition character creation goes, it is a long process, I think, to get exactly where you want to go, but it can be simplified in three letters, A, B, C. And we're going to first talk about A, Ancestry. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. You say pointed ears, slightly pointed? Pointed ears, slightly pointed ears. Mm -hmm. Um, So she is a half-elf. Okay. And her mother is elven, um, and her father is human, or at least mostly elven and mostly human. Um, So she is half-elf. A little bit of a hodgepodge in the family, I think here in the background uh, notes, we have a somewhat ecclesiastical and mercantile backgrounds in your father is a, uh, a priestess of Desna. Is that correct? No, mother is a, a priestess of, of Desna. Yes. Yes. And your father is a merchant, like owns a, a trading company here in the, the city. Yes. And where does that leave a young Alaris? Uh, does she lean closer to perhaps her more earth and human roots? Or is there like a, a, a bond with her mother, the ethereal elven heritage? Yeah, she's, I, I think she um, wishes she were a little more elven. Um, she really finds an affinity with that side of her family and that side mm-hmm. of her heritage um, close to her mother and also is a, is a um, dedicated follower of, of Desna herself. Um, much like her mother is. Mm-hmm. And regardless of, of of that, your upbringing is kind of the next thing we're going to talk about in the creation process, the B of ABC, uh, backgrounds. Now, what did you choose for Lyris's background? By background, do you mean class? What do you mean by background? Uh, background as in it's, well, it's, it's the B and ABC. Uh, I believe... You have listed kind of your, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, there's a lot of things that could have fit into that, but both mother and father kind of want to raise you proper. So I imagine the the example might be um, uh, raising you to be like a Southern Belle and, you know, going to classes on um, polite society of like Magnamar and like how to fit in in... Um, in the upper echelons. Uh, it is a very 
um, I guess, middle-class city compared to some of the, the more hoity-toity um, inner sea cities. This is like on the outer edge and is very um, uh, market-driven, but there is still uh, a, a lot of people that kind of cling to you know, titles and, and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, you've been trained in, you know, studying things like genealogy and and how to act in those kind of echelons of society. Yeah, and I think especially from her father's side, being a merchant, um, really wants to raise her to be a respectable memory member of the of society, and and mm-hmm. hopefully raise her status. Uh, um, and of course, coming from the from the temple of Desna, I mean, uh, her mother is uh, much the same, but perhaps for different reasons. I mean, it's still respectability, but less about the coin component oh, and yeah. more about just uh, being a an upstanding member of society. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's the, definitely... And a good, a good uh, uh, example of Desna and, and what she stands for. There is definitely pressure from both of them to, you know, make a woman out of yourself in their image. So either going into... The, the priestesshood and surpassing even your mother in in the local church or um, you know owning a business yourself and rivaling your father and making him go out of business uh, or, or something <laughs> along those lines but um, yeah this this might be something rolling around your head as you're you're walking through these market stalls uh, still very much years away from having to make that decision uh, but yeah this day is unlike many others in the city as uh, today you have been told that your uncle's ship was seen cresting the southern isle of uh, Kyber's Islet uh, to the south of the city and would be docking soon. And he is a man of the the warm southern seas uh, as well as has traveled extensively of the inner sea, kind of like the, the Mediterranean of this world. Though he is rarely able to make it this far north or west as uh, a lot of his business takes him elsewhere but whenever you can you like to make your way down to the docks to see him first and uh, you're able to get down there fairly early and climb the base of one of the many hundreds of ancient statues um, that kind of dot around the city Um, this one is like half destroyed but it's still a huge pedestal you're able to climb up on and yeah overlooking the dock down below you can see his red sails kind of crest the 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 rest of the the harbor and pass by about a dozen or so other ships coming into into port it is a very tall ship made to sail the open ocean strong enough to stand against gale force winds of some of the great southern storms and uh, as you you know run draw closer to it it makes its berth and on the dock where it settles there's a bustle of activity as the gangplank is secured and sailors from all kinds of colorful backgrounds and uh, uh, locales around the world um, make their way off the ship and you can kind of make your way onto it alongside the many dozens of stevedores that pop on board and start unloading crates and cages of of wild uh, animals and exotic spices I imagine he's bringing and you find on the forecastle, a very tall and imposing looking half-elf in a flowing white garb with a, a large red sash holding a few scabbards on his back. This is Uncle Olivier. And uh, as he 
turns and and kind of spies you. He says, uh, "I know I'd I'd, I'd not be able to s- to step a single foot on dry land for you'd come calling on your old weary sea racked uncle." <laughs> it's good to see you, Uncle Olivier. He'll hold out his arms for an embrace and says, "Hello, lass. I I trust you've been keeping well here in the lap of your parents' luxury." What has me sister got you learning? Tea services for ladies or, or how to eat leatherback turtle soup with a platinum spoon? All of that and also embroidery and uh, what else? <laughs> oh, embroidery, that's an important one. In case the wolves are at the door, you'll be able to crochet them a net with which you can catch them. I like the stabbing part personally. Oh my! Uh, he kind of admonishes you friendly and says, uh, I want you to wallop me one real good. Just hit me right here in the stomach and maybe you'll have good luck and knock me on my hindquarters while I'm still wearing me sea legs. He asks you to punch him as hard as he can. Do you do so? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he feigns shock and pain when you do and kind of staggers backward holding his, his gut. Uh, but... You feel on the other end of that, like you are punching a stone wall, <laughs> like impossibly hard masonry. And he says, uh, oh, there may be hope for in a city girl like you yet, Ellie. I might make a sailor out of you yet. Growing girl like you deserves a, a special gift or two for this trip. Uh, the first one here is a, a necklace stole off a creature that lived in the sea a powerful pearl of a merfolk said to mark you as one of their own. Now, if you believe that hogwash, then perhaps your mother will as well, as this is what you'll tell her if she asks what I gave you. He gives you a wink. Of, of course. It's beautiful. Ah, uh, yes. What else do you have? <laughs> it, it was a few coppers. There you are. Uh, he pulls from a small bag on the, the side of the, the top deck here. A kind of a, a li- rather large wooden case. Uh, and says, uh, this be your true gift. One it took me some time to find and get you and I both in trouble, either your parents find out. He opens it up kind of ceremoniously and inside is a very beautiful curved short sword inlaid in its handle. Seven precious opaque looking gemstones kind of forming a kaleidoscope of, of colors in, a, in an arcing pattern. It's an elvish blade in the style of those carried it by our kind for thousands of years. They carried these blades through the Ayudara, the elven gates when we returned home from Severian. When we reclaimed our homes across the seas, it's fast and sharp like your tongue, but strong enough to kill a man where he stands with only a flick of your wrist. He like invites you to, to pick it up and, you know, play around with this deadly object. Yeah, I think Alaris would be, um, uh, uh, Stunned and just uh, stare in awe at this at this beautiful thing. I mean, necklace aside, whatever. <laughs> um, oh, uncle, it's it's the most beautiful thing I've ever laid eyes on. Um, and she'll uh, very carefully and gingerly uh, pick it up uh, and and hold it, test the balance, mm-hmm. and it then swiftly uh, uh, put it into her hand and and take a, a swipe with it. Oh my goodness. The air has never been so uh, bifurcated, <laughs> cut in <laughs> half. Uh, it really does feel like you're um, wielding just like a, a switch, a very thin uh, tree branch, and just kind of 
like a child, like whipping it through the air. Uh, but you can feel that there is, uh, with every swipe, a lot of force behind it as the weight of the blade kind of carries through and you have to like pull it back a little bit. Um, after maybe a few swipes, he'll like reach over your shoulder and kind of uh, grab your hand and be like, okay, okay. If <laughs> uh, you want to grow up to be your own woman, not have your path dictated by anyone, your father or mother or the ugly land loving sod look to wed you down like some sort of trophy, then this blade here is your key. If you learn to wield a blade, nobody's gonna tell you you're nay good enough or strong enough, for it takes a halfpenny amount of pressure to zip this blade and make any cutthroat here in Magnamar. Sing his woes to Phrasma by your hand. You feel me? That's that's yes, can... that's sailor talk, you feel me? <laughs> <laughs> can you teach me? Oh, uh, I I won't be here in Magma for too long, but perhaps we have a lesson or two here on the ship out of sight. <laughs> but uh, if you have some skills and can handle your own weight, maybe one day I could convince your, your mother. My sister uh, lets you sail with me up on a short leg to Sandpoint or, or mayhap all the way to Riddleport. You'd have to train with this here blade every day between now and then, maybe pick up a few other skills along the way. But I'd make a sailor out of you yet. What do you say? I, I will practice every day. Aye. He'll follow you uh, back up to your your family's manor, kind of telling you stories along the way. The, the rest of this visit goes extremely well. He unloads these extremely mysterious crates uh, and you, you see them as you pass by in your father's trading house, um, like warehouse, and uh, and comes home and kind of regales your mother and father along with you of, of stories of the open sea and sailing, tells tales that range from the impossible, like fairy fires dancing in the ship's sails during a storm, to the extremely probable, like him almost marrying a mermaid, to only find out it was a sea witch! and fighting with her occult tribe. But uh, you yeah. got the, the necklace. Yeah, well, that's if if it, your mother asked that is indeed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, while while he's telling these these fantastical stories, what is what is happening in a young Alaris's mind in, in her brain chemistry? Oh, she's just uh, I mean, she's decided from a very young age that she wants to be like her uncle and uh, uh, sail with him, emulate him in any way that she can. Um, I mean, the stories that he tells are, are so much more exciting than anything that she's ever seen on Magnamar and could ever imagine happening on Magnamar. Um, so that's definitely um, what she wants to, to make of herself um, and will do whatever she has to um, uh, to, to, to get there. Which brings me to the last part of character creation, of course, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, uh, the C of ABC. And we're talking, of course, about class. And yeah, in in, in talking with your, your uncle and about the skills that a sailor might need, Alaris kind of chooses maybe as a potential profession or a calling or trade, aka her class. What exactly? She is a rogue. Oh my! <laughs> no more operatives. No more rogues, please. <laughs> uh, yes, a a classic fantasy class, all the way back from like I think second edition Dungeons and Dragons, maybe first. Um, 
there there was some co- kind of thief or or rogue character. Um, one thing I like about this adventure path is that you you're not really like a standard thief or rogue, but you I mean obviously that is your class, but like all of them, they can be tweaked in a whole bunch of different ways, you know. So we don't have a very standard monk, nor I think a standard what one would think of as a druid, uh, which we'll we'll talk about obviously in other episodes. But uh, Alaris, not not a super typical rogue, as you guys will see. Um, right. So the next part here is a montage that is going to be composed of multiple years between, uh, well, since your uncle Olivier's last visit. Uh, we're going to go through some ways that Alaris kind of trains herself as a rogue or in this way to kind of become a sailor or to become a, a force to be reckoned with on the, the open seas kind of total bad broad that would make your, your uncle proud. Um, obviously several times at different times of year <laughs> in this montage, we see her maybe standing on a local rooftop uh, sword in hand, looking down on a training yard uh, of uh, an old man wearing faded city guard armor behind the the barracks, training fresh recruits, all of them with wooden swords. But uh, you you follow along um, with some of the short sword swinging lessons you've gotten in private or from your uncle, with going through running the drills that the the city guard of Magnamar are showing uh, worked on wooden mannequins wearing very dilapidated armor. And yeah, it's on these rooftops. We see Alaris kind of fighting imaginary monsters, perhaps in her mind, kind of closing her eyes and and just recreating the moves step by step uh, without the the need to even hear them being called below. In (laughs) in these times, hours later, when you're, you're sweaty and tired and return home, uh, the first thing your your elven mother, who potentially has not sweated once in her entire life, looks you up and down and says, well, where are you coming from, Malaris, that, that has you as wet as a morning dew? What benign activity would you tell your mother that you're doing instead of uh, swinging a sword? Um, how wet is she? Is she like, she's been like... You ever swing a sword, you're going to work up some pit stains, perhaps. <laughs> I think, obviously... The brow is a little uh, messed. <laughs> Let's see. What are some allowable court activities that might <laughs> get you in a a state of dishevelment? Uh, maybe she maybe she found a maybe she was chasing a dog through the street. <laughs> <laughs> is that the excuse you give your mother? Yeah, because uh, the oh, dog no. stole. Uh, something from her stole, uh, I don't know, some item that her mom would care about, and she was trying to get it back from the oh, dog. No, Rebecca, why would you do this to me? Uh, then, of course, she accepts that as you are beyond reproach as far as, as lying to your parents goes up to this point in, in your life. And the very next day, um, your mother has like started a, uh, a Magnamaran, uh, 
dog sanctuary <laughs> in, in one of like the parklands uh, that is very close to the house and and pays children to like collect local dogs and, and has them healed and dewormed and stuff here. It's like, you can play here with the dogs all you want, uh, but do not run through the streets ever again. Uh, stymied by rich parents. <laughs> Deal with that. The the next scenes of this montage are maybe a few months later when uh, we see Alaris kind of walking through arcane components, kind of magicka stalls of the city uh, trailing a witch, uh, an old witch named Halorna that you have bribed with some coin to kind of teach you a few things. So she's taking you through the stalls, explaining magic properties of everything from toad's eye to bat wing, <laughs> all the curative properties of gross stuff like purified bone meal and the juice of the olive. And we'll have you like take little pinches and like rub it on your tongue and uh, we'll point out which ones you don't want more than a pinch of and which ones you can just, like, swallow, no problem. But as you return home, of course, this apprenticeship leaves you smelling of unearthly things. It blows out your nostrils and taste buds, so you can't really tell. But as soon as you walk in, your father gets one breath of you as as you leave, like, a, a dust, uh, a, a pig pen-style kind of dust storm behind you. And it's like, oh, my, what? Why does it smell like you you got into a smokehouse? Where have you been? You've picked up such a an, an odor. Ugh. It's time for another fib or white lie to tell your your father about where you've gained a funk, Rebecca. Thinking, I'm thinking. Don't say dog. Those dogs are washed and cleaned at the the sanctuary. <laughs> is it is it possible that I have something on me? Like, could I have brought flowers home or something in preparation? Yeah, of course. This is okay. your story. You make it up, basically. Okay, great, 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 great. You, so you, you you smell of a chimney, and you've got flowers in your hand. What's the excuse? Oh, I smell like a chimney? I thought you said I smelled like spi- spices or something. Oh, no, like um, a smokehouse. <laughs> this is really hard. I'm really bad at lying. Rebecca's bad at lying. Oh, right, um, right, right. Let's see. Um, uh, I, I liked your answer for the first one. This one might be a little more difficult. I I mean, is there something acceptable that these parents would, would accept as okay? (laughs) Uh, yes. Some, some friends of mine, um, and, uh, some friends of mine and I, uh, went down to, into the forest and lit some fires to, uh, into which we could throw sand, um, to, to, uh, to honor Desna and uh, wish her blessings on the city of Ma- Magnamar. Uh, your father, obviously gobbling all that up, uh, smells like oh yes, it does. It does smell like sacred salts. Um, oh my, perhaps you should take a bath, and uh, I'll let your mother know that you were worshiping the spirit of Desna. Oh goodness. Um, the next day, of course, there's pamphlets of Desna like laid out on your your bedside table, as well as like a, a, a new heady uh, bottle of perfume <laughs> uh, as well. Um, and we're talking maybe uh, years after your uncle has left, um, which is usually about how long between his visits that um, that he's ever gone before getting back to Magnamar as his brother-in-law has been an amazing trade partner with him. Um but yeah, this is a, a grown-up Alaris almost at the point of having to make 
you know, those life decisions of, of what to do um, when when moving out of, of your parents' manner and, and kind of making your way in this world. Putting off that decision, perhaps, though, we instead see her skulking through Magnamar's kind of wealthier neighborhoods um, over the course of many months, kind of taken to climbing most anything and everything you can, walking on walls of masonry, rooftops, uh, getting around very much as agile as some of the stray cats that um, prowl this area of the city. And here we see over the course of many nights, you kind of honing your skills in, in acrobatics, uh, stealthing behind the, the city guard, kind of stalking them as they walk their routes and all the while kind of learning from them, uh, learning with them, uh, on how not to be seen, perhaps taking notes on the men and their their kind of like planned um, um, walks that they take, uh, see where their blind spots are and, and what have you. Um, but yeah, uh, and this night you have a particular mission as you've come to one of the most kind of guarded locations in the city, the um, the, the council offices of some of the, the higher ups in the Magnamaran uh, government, including the office of uh, a, a man known as Lord Justel Hammond Brackish, uh, very disreputable, disreputable and kind of feared lord in, in Magnamar who wields money and his title like a cudgel. And he's, in the last several months, been pricing out your father's business, is doing so to many other smaller merchants in a bid to gain an even greater title and status in the, the city. And kind of, like I said, just kind of squashing other merchants um, and, and spending his vast fortune in order to do so. He's bidding to become one of the Council of Usher uh, members, you know, just right below the, the the Lord Mayor as far as importance goes in, in Magnamar. There's about a hundred or so of these, these council people that help make a lot of the rules and, and determine where coin goes in the city. Um, but yeah, after spending several weeks kind of setting up on this guy who's who's giving your family a lot of grief, you, you find through archival records, he may have lied about several aspects of his holdings and his title, and you are looking in several places around the city for evidence of that, evidence as well of some of his crimes to, to bring up maybe in a, a non-confrontational way, like slipping it to the, the Lord Mayor or other council members to stop his machinations so it's it's on one of these nights that you are practicing the art of lock picking on one one of lord brackish's offices where it would be a completely otherwise empty building that you suddenly hear noise from inside the door of this office as a large oaken wooden door kind of suddenly opens and you see two faces you've seen in the streets before but never met the two cruel uh, sons, cruel and ignorant sons of the Lord, who seem to be extremely intox intoxicated, just their breath fuming like a still. They're both swaying in the door frame, seemingly have have caught you here red-handed. Uh, what would you what would you say to them? I imagine are still like on one knee, looking to to pick a lock. Um. Oh, I didn't realize that you were here. I was I was just trying to fix this lock. It, it seems to be broken. Your father hired me. <laughs> and their father's name was what? Uh, Lord uh -oh. Brackish? 
close enough. Sorry? Yeah. <laughs> Jessel Hammond Brackish. Uh, they uh, like are very confused for a moment. If we're talking about skill rolls <laughs> as far as uh, Pathfinder Second Edition goes, uh, uh, what do you think you would would be rolling here? A uh, uh, a bluff check? Is that a Deception? Is that still a thing? Deception, of course. <laughs> I'm I'm rapidly bringing up uh, all my my rules notes pages. Definitely not diplomacy. Um, uh, go ahead. Uh, are you trained? Do you have like a baseline in deception at this point? Yes. Sure. Go go ahead and make me a roll. We'll, we'll see what happens. It's a fourteen. <laughs> not great, but so believe it or not, um, I do have some skills for these guys to to roll opposite uh, them and one of them is well they're they're extremely drunk and uh, can barely kind of like understand what you're saying um, it does seem to like register with them and they're like nodding along but yeah one of them's like you're looking to find out about our pops uh, it seems like an unlikely coincidence brother uh-huh working for our father uh, you kind of peer beside them uh, into this room that is like very dimly lit maybe only lit by kind of the the moon and starlight streaming through the open windows but it seems like the office has already been turned upside down just tossed over potentially by these two sons as you see an empty chest kind of drawers flung open the desk almost overturned on its side and all the while on their waist bulges and sags uh, a few large coin purses uh, haphazardly tied on there. And uh, one brother turns to the other and says, Oh, seems like Abadar has blessed our pockets and our fortune tonight. Well, we have caught uh, the thief here red-handed. Rebecca, we are indeed in initiative turn order as these two are going to try and reach out immediately and attack you. Now, it's a little different in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Not really a hard and fast initiative system uh, like a 1st Edition or a Starfinder. In this situation, I'm going to let them roll a drunken perception check. And because you were being very stealthy at the beginning of this in a darkened hallway, uh, you can roll um, stealth. Does that make sense? Yeah for them and go ahead and, and uh, give us a stealth roll and tell me what you get. It's a 16, nine on the dice. Okay, so uh, you are faster than them as they are telegraphing their movements that they are about to like lunge at you. Uh, what would you like to do first here? Is, uh, is sh- sh- are, are you carrying your blade with you? And when you go oh, out on always. Oh my. Yeah, she doesn't go anywhere without her blade. Um, she's going to uh, immediately um pull out her blade and uh, try to back up. <laughs> sure. Try to, try to exit. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't seem, because of the, the state of their drunkenness, to be able to make any kind of a reaction if they could. Um, so you're able to get away uh, scot-free. You still have another action, as in second edition, there are three actions. You can pull out that blade, move back, or do something else in between if you want. I feel like she would try to talk them down, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Um, now let's let's not jump to conclusions or anything. I, I I see that you've been having a good old time, and I won't tell your dad about it. Don't worry. Um, 
maybe I'll see you around uh, sometime as she Excellent. exits. <laughs> that will be a diplomacy check. <laughs> we can make it free if you if you don't have a uh, if you care for another action, but uh, definitely definitely make that roll. All right, that's a twelve. Uh, that uh, w- will not be enough to assuage them as they are in a drunken rage. But uh, you hear one of them says uh, <laughs> drunkenly, it's like, did she say she's going to tell our dad? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, and they will they will come at you, uh, each spending a couple of actions to kind of like drunkenly move down the, the hallway here. And uh, each is going to make a... Uh, a swing. They've just got open fists right now, even though you do see like a, a short dagger on one of their belts. Uh, so let me roll a couple of attack rolls. All right. First one's a four and a full on miss. And the second is a natural 20. Oh, no. um, it didn't take long for me to roll that natural 20 here in this adventure path. Uh, in this situation, uh, there's, there's a couple ways to get critical successes in attack. Uh, natural 20 always being potentially one of them. Um, but yeah, this situation, it is a double hit, uh, double damage, I should say, much like normal damage. It is not too, too much damage, but I will roll some D6 here and add some numbers. I rolled a three and a one on, on 2D6. These are actually D3, as this is a unarmed attack coming at you. Um... Uh, and five points of damage in total as he just kind of like wallops you uh, right in the shoulder and you can kind of feel the muscles tensing up there and maybe the bone getting bruised as he's uh, he's, a, he's a beefy lord's son, you know. You know how they make him beefy in Magnamar. <laughs> um, that, that is their turn and we're going to go back to you. Now, they've not taken any damage yet, but if you don't want to mess around with them, you do know that there is a window at the end of the hall um, that you can can get to that you have planned as an escape uh, route, but um, it, it's up to you if you want to take them out as they have seen you here. Perhaps, uh, perhaps there's another way. That's true. Well, I mean, I feel like because they have seen her there, mm-hmm. although they are drunk, so maybe she could just bank on them forgetting in the morning, but that doesn't seem likely. Um, it's time for so, Alaris's first double homicide. <laughs> it sounds like. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what What would you like to do? Um, I think she will. Uh, okay, tell me if I have the action economy to take a swipe at one of them, uh, just to kind of warn them, mm-hmm. like get away, and um, and try to get to that window. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've lift it open here and you have like a rope set up so you can shimmy across to the next rooftop uh you would be able to do that and just get on that rope and you know either um uh try and and get across it with one hand while holding your sword or um take an action to to put your sword away before you you mount it and i'll i'll leave that up to you when we get there but yes you have three actions and you can you can definitely get to that escape route. As slow as they were walking, they would have to use a couple of actions to follow you. Okay. So um, do I take a swipe? To, what do I do? Yeah, sure. Go right ahead. All right. This is the first time I've done this with this character, so I have to figure out how it works. Mm-hmm. All right. Like most things in, in all these good old Paizo games, it's a, a D20 plus of numbers. <laughs> yeah, I just have to figure out what the plus is. All right. And this is, this is you almost trained up to your fullest, so you've got all your 
base attack bonuses and stuff like that. What what was your total here? So the total was a 20. Cool. So that is also a critical hit because you have beaten these unarmored, drunken uh, men's armor class by 10 or more. Ooh. So, yeah, you uh, just flick the the curved elven blade out like you've practiced, you know, hundreds of times before, maybe threatened uh, cut purses in the alleys with before. This time it is like, and a massive tear opens up in the dumber, shorter son's uh, shoulder um, and roll some damage for me. We'll see. All right. So this will be this two is. because it's a critical hit, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right, so that does eight damage in total. Okay, so not enough to drop him. Um, oh, wait, hold on. That should have been 2d8 plus four oh. on each of those, right? So, yeah, plus 12 in, in total. Uh, that is enough to bloody him up completely, and he looks out of shoulder at the wound and sees all the blood dripping down there and goes to cover it with his hand, but in a drunken state, just like rams his fingers into the wound. And I mean, you can see bits of white in there. You think you've cut him to the bone and he starts screaming and goes, Uh, and he's just going to fall to the ground. Um, But his brother is looking on in horror at you and you're, you're running away now. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Alaris is booking it. (laughs) Sure. Do you want to try climbing that rope? Uh, one-handed um, with your, your sword still out just in case or do you want to put put it away? I think she'll put it away. Okay. Try to get across the rope faster. So in that case, I'm going to say um, you can only just get onto the, the end of the, the rope with, with this action economy and okay. um, you know start to shimmy out when the other brother comes like charging down the hall at you. And as you're making your escape on the rope, uh, brings out that dagger from his belt. And as the uh, the line is taut, just makes a quick swipe through it. And you hear twang, twang, twang. Uh, it cuts in half and you are free falling uh, almost immediately uh, as it goes slack. And you have to scramble to catch yourself, catch a ledge as... Falling in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, very dangerous. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you recall falling damage in Pathfinder 1st Edition or Starfinder, but it's like 1d6, so it's a variable per like 10 feet. Um, do you have any idea what it is in 2nd Edition? No clue. It's like a damage per foot that you fall. And oh gosh. you're up about 30 feet or so right now, so... Dangerous territory as any fall like this off of a second story building could be fatal, right? I forget how many hit points you start with. It's not the, it's not 30, though. Oh, correct. No, I started with 17, but I've lost five so far, so I'm at 12. So dangerous times here. Um, with this, though, you have a reaction where you can try and grab a ledge, which basically will cut this uh, potential damage in half. So you're, like, scrambling on the... the um, the brick wall of the the building next to you as the rope goes slack you're able to grab it for a second and you kind of bang into this wall <laughs> so with that do i need to make a roll to grab the ledge yes so it is a reflex save and i, I love this rule in second edition because it's very similar to what i think people have homebrewed in the same scenario probably thousands uh, of times in pathfinder where it's like 
it's very cinematic. Like if you're falling, you have that one chance to grab that ledge and slow your descent. Uh, that's what it's going to be here. Uh, it is a DC 15 reflex save though. So it's, it's, I mean, it's not easy, right? What, what's your reflex bonus? Nine. Okay. It's going to be very easy, <laughs> right? <laughs> You've got to roll a six or higher here on All a right. D20. Here it goes. That's a 20. Oh, okay. I mean, total. Yeah, 11 on the dice. So you're able just to dig your your hands into the, the masonry of this building and uh, maybe lose a few feet, dig your hands in again, lose a few feet, and then eventually um, uh, the pain in your fingertips is immense and you're not able to, to catch yourself any longer. And you fall backwards, uh, slamming into the, the bricks below uh, for, I think this will be enough damage to to knock you out uh, for falling damage. If you are able to grab the the edge, it reduces the damage uh, as if it was, oh, as if it was 20 feet shorter. So in this case, you would be taking 10 points of damage. Are you still up after that? Uh, yeah, because I had 12 total. So I'd right. be down to two. <laughs> as you, you fall, um, you can hear kind of like something crack inside. And uh, the first thing you do as you sit up is blood just kind of brushes out of your, your nose and you cough it up. Still alive, but you look up at the window where you fell from and realize something mystical or magical has happened that allowed you to survive such a, a harrowing scrape, you know, by yourself. These two men, even intoxicated, could have really put a hurting on you. I mean, I rolled the natural 20, so it's very, very possible that that could have happened. Um, well, and, clearly Desna is with Alaris. I mean, yeah, you know, maybe like as soon as you, uh, <laughs> you kind of like uh, shamble to your feet and secure your sword and the, the hood around your, your black hair, a uh, one of the very large moths uh, that kind of eat the the hay behind the stables here in this this area of the 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 city uh, flits by your your head, kind of lands on your shoulder, and uh, as it does, of course, uh, you feel better, even though you're pretty sure that it's just your brain t- telling the rest of your body not to feel pain right now. As in the next twenty minutes, you are able to sneak home and start to treat your wounds along the way before like the real pain sets in. Your back is aching. Uh, you can tell that you're going to be covered in bruises and things like that. And yeah, you're able to sneak back into the house and pass out only to be awoken by the next morning, your mother screaming and your, your father, you know, calling for one of the, the help in the house you know, to bring bandages and things like that. As you sit up and, and kind of look in your bedside mirror and see, I mean, you're, you're covered in clothing, of course, so a lot of the wounds are, are not <laughs> perceptible, but there are some bruises and a, a large black eye that has developed under the cover of whatever makeup you put on before falling asleep the previous night. And of course, there is a lot of care going on from your parents and a lot of, of hugging and things like that. But eventually they demand an explanation of what happened. Who did this to you? What happened? Where were you? What What do you say to them? 
I'm trying to decide whether I want to out the brothers and admit that because by doing so, she would be essentially admitting that, oh yeah, that shoulder wound was inflicted by me. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, it might be uh, uh, useful for her father, for her father's sake to um, make it seem like they had attacked her. Um, Oh yeah, you can spin a yarn if you want with uh, another, another skill check maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think she would, she would explain, she wouldn't explain, she wouldn't tell them that she was trying to break into the office or anything like that. I think that she would tell them um, that she was uh, minding her own business. She was coming home from, um, uh, from the tavern with her friends. Those two um, brackish boys. And the two brackish boys just out of nowhere um, left at her and started calling her a a half-breed and um, uh, it beat her to a pulp, and um, she tried. Uh, she 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 grabbed a rock that was on the on the ground next to her, and in desperation, uh, 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 um, hit one of them in the shoulder with it as hard as she could. But it wasn't enough. Um, they they um, uh, they continued to beat her and um, uh, left her essentially for dead. And she. Um, uh, stumbled home in the middle of the night and and it was horrible and mm-hmm. uh, and she would start crying and her it, it would just I, I can't speak about it it was, oh, it was boy. the most awful experience of my life false accusations like that are never something to joke about except in the case of these uh uh drunken dumb brackish boys uh make make a quick deception check to see see if both parents i think one of them is going to eat it up, but fooling both at the same time is sometimes difficult because they don't like to agree always. Oh, that's not good. That's only an eight. Your mother believes you completely um, and says, this this city is no place for young women such as yourself to come of age. It is time that for your safety, for the time we will send you to live with the sisters of Desna in the temple beyond the city's walls in the forest. Uh, your father seems very suspect uh, of of what has happened here and uh, uh, you know says that is is a crazy coincidence that uh, one of his business rivals offspring uh, came to blows with with you as well but he is unable to kind of argue with his wife your mother uh, it is also concerned because can see whatever actually happened, you were gravely hurt. Like you could have died from, from some of these injuries. Uh, so of course, over the next couple of weeks, there are inquiries. There are the, the brothers brackish have alibis of like people that say they were drinking with them at a bar that night and, uh, didn't, didn't head in like the direction you said. So things are muddled of course in this, uh, in this tale. But from that there is an enhanced scrutiny of the Lord Brackish, and eventually it does come to light, um, whether through your investigation or others, that um, the the estimation of his land holdings was like exaggerated and forged and things like that. So his chances of becoming uh, a councilman uh, on the Council of Ushers uh, was stymied for many years. Um, and yeah, we, we fast forward... Uh, sometime later, as we see the, the wounds have healed on you uh, magically, um, so just leaving behind just some 
some dull discolorations from maybe uh, a healed broken bone. Uh, but yeah, we see Alaris packing her bags, looking around her room for potentially one last time as she is being shipped off to a Desnan nunnery. Uh, your sword is still in its case, sharpened and oiled, and kind of seemed to has its own sheen that does not need your care. Um, would you be taking it with you? Are you inspecting it for one last time as you leave it behind in your bedroom? Do you think Alaris regrets it getting her into trouble? Uh, no, not at all. I think that <laughs> she sees that whole um, situation as a sign that uh, Desna... Yeah, I think that she sees this whole event as a sign that Desna approves of her lifestyle and what she's trying to do, um, especially when the moth uh, flitted by and landed on her shoulder um, at the end of it all. I I, I don't think she would mistake that um, as uh, anything but a sign from Desna and a positive one at that. Um, so despite the fact that her parents don't approve, I think that she is still on that path um, toward uh, uh emulating uh, Uncle Olivier to the best of her ability and would absolutely take the curved blade with her. She's not going to let that thing <laughs> out of her sight. So she's going to uh, do whatever, whatever she can to continue her training and um, uh, and she needs that curved blade uh, with her. I, I think that it's definitely her most prized possession. And I think, honestly, at this point is a core part of her identity. Um, I think she sees it as, as a part of herself. She wouldn't leave it behind. Do you think she is ready to go off to to worship Desna, or is she like on the fence and maybe waiting for like another sign that uh, perhaps neither of her parents' lifestyles are, are kind of what she wants to go into? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, she's constantly on the lookout for other opportunities. Um, I think that uh, simply the chance to get out of Magnamar in any way um, is is a welcome um, a welcome change anyway. Um, but I don't think that her intention at the moment or ever <laughs> uh, was to go to a nunnery for the rest of her life. I mean, that might be her first stop, but that is not where she's going to end. Sure. So mind made up, but in the last couple of weeks, like there's been no opportunity. You've not been able to like get outside of your parents' um, watchful eye as they're, you know, rightly so very worried about you. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, waiting for uh, the carriage driver to kind of cart you off outside the city. Uh, you flinch as there is indeed a knock at the, the manor door. As you peek downstairs, uh, you do not see a some random carriage Uber driver, but rather a, a somewhat familiar face, that of a man named Botson, uh, one of the the crewmen of your, your uncle's ship. Uh, you see him holding his hat in his hand as your father greets him and puts a hand on his shoulder. And then you see your mother kind of comes up to him and then steps back and begins openly weeping and uh, kind of like holding on to her, her prayer shawl. And as soon as you start to come down the stairs, the, the man is already gone. Your parents are hugging one another um, and, and they see you and kind of straighten up and uh, and ask if everything is okay. They're asking me if everything's okay? Yes, they, they seem to be terrible liars and your mother still like choking back tears. It's like, uh, what 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 is the matter? Are, are you ready to go yet? Uh, I think I'd like to ask you that question. What was Botson doing here? What? N- nothing. Just 
nothing of your concern, Alaris. Nothing that concerns you today. It was about your your father's business. Um, please just be ready for your travel and, and have no more questions of us. Uh, she will excuse herself and your father, grim as the grave, kind of uh, walks off towards his study as well. Uh, what would Alaris do in this situation? Um, I think she would stop her father on, on his way and, and ask, is Uncle Olivier, is Uncle Olivier okay? Um, he declines to answer, just shaking his head, kind of like unadmittingly, but, uh, there is, uh, a bit of, of mist in, in his eyes and says, uh, um, that's, that is between Botson and, and, uh, your mother and I. You must be concerned of yourself. He will close the door in your face. But this is one of the first times, as I said in several weeks, that neither of them are trying to actively watch you. Do you think you'd try and, and get some answers out of this this uh, this um, deckhand, this uh, this sailor Botson himself? Oh, is he still there? Uh, as soon as you open the door and look out, he has disappeared down the street. Um, but it is going to be a very simple skill check if you want to try and follow him. Yes. Would you grab your Do- stuff before you, you head out, your, your packed bag? Uh, yes, and her curve blade. It is not difficult to follow his tracks, but I will need a survival check. My survival's not great. Yes. It's a 19. Oh my goodness. I was about to say, are you... You are trained in it. Yes. Uh, but yeah, a, a low bonus, a great roll. Uh, super easy to follow his tracks as since the last time you saw him years ago, uh, one leg of the old mariner has been replaced with a peg leg. So you're you're looking for uh, footprints in some of the um, uh, the, the the muddier parts of of the street, uh, and then like a, a a whole indentation. And he doesn't seem to be moving very fast. But when you catch up to him, he has gone down to the. Uh, uh, the docks near a, a rather salty saloon where you've often seen your, your uncle paying for the men's food and board and things where near he used to birth his ship. Uh, and you find Botson half in the cup already, uh, an empty stein in front of him, and he's just chugging away. Uh, he does seem to groggily notice you and his eyes alight for a moment and then turn very sullen. Uh, and he says, uh, Aye, girl, I, I thought I saw an ye for a second of face. Uh, oh, you're here about your uncle, then your parents already tell you what has happened. They won't tell me anything. How, is he okay? Oh, my, I, I meant him no harm on them's that's gone, and your uncle swore me to secrecy in these parts, for your parents didn't whine you to know the truth, but... Your uncle sailed the seas with a mean and fierce eye, for he wasn't a, a mere traveler nor transporter of goods, but was a, f- a formidable pirate down the southern seas who could have been the best of them given the chance on the council of free captains. We ran the regatta, ran around the, the eye and back and, and scored second place behind the sea, which it still weren't enough for the lot of them. We tried to take an island of our own, but along the way, the ship was blown about and destroyed from a rock from the heavens. All the crew lost, including your uncle. Uncle Olivier? He's gone? 
I'm sorry, Gurlo. Didn't mean to make you sad, Dovey, but your uncle, the captain, was a man who I cared about deeply. And he cared about his crew. He used to sail all over these seas. He was part of the Endoran privateers and, and read the Riddleport Corsairs out of the, the ocean and decided to turn his eye recently down to the shackles, open to snuff out slavery down the coastline. He was ruthless to slavers he caught, trading human flesh, but he was an honorable man. He'd let those off who surrendered on shore with supplies 20 miles outside the coast of a major city. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> there's an entire ocean out there for those who are brave enough to unfurl their sails, but danger is untold for the fool who does, who does not watch their step. It's something he used to tell me before I marched into battle, willing to put myself before him. <coughs> oh my. He finishes his beer and looks like he's about to topple over with drunkenness and perhaps uh, a little bit of heat stroke and, uh, and sadness all at the same time. I was supposed to go on the sea with him, you know. He always told me that someday I'd get to. You look just like him when he was younger. I, I, I crewed a ship with him when he was just a lad, too. Uh, I, I must be off, though. I'm sorry. I'm on a ship south that's leaving near straight away. See if I can crew another tall ship and, and make some coin before I die. He uh, kind of produces a small scroll with a, a Riv Transit stamped on it um, that looks like it's a, a receipt for accommodations on a cargo vessel uh, headed south. And though, as he goes from pulling it from his pocket, he kind of tumbles backwards on, on his wooden leg he's maybe not accustomed to and falls to the floor and is well unconscious before he kind of cracks his head on the uh, the wooden floorboards here. Uh, the, the bartender comes over and seemingly accustomed to this, just splashes water in his face, starts slapping him, but then uh, as, as quick as he can just proceeds to pull Botson outside and, and lays him in the gutter to uh, to sleep it off. What would you like to do? Um, Alaris would go and uh, make sure he's comfortably uh, positioned in the gutter. <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> have some very fine clothes in, in your pack that you can pull out and kind of make a pillow for him if you want. Yeah, make him a little pillow. Yeah, um, he, it, nothing's able to rouse him. He seems like a man who hasn't slept in like 40 days. So Rip Van Winkle style, he's... He's out of it, but um, uh, he seems kind of at peace, as uh, as you can tell. Whatever it took for him to get all the way up here to Magnamar after um, he was, you know, stranded at sea or whatever, uh, he completed his mission in, in telling his former captain's family, you know, about uh, his misfortune. So he's he's resting peacefully and 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 will wake out of it, but perhaps in a day or so. <laughs> Yeah, so seeing that he is resting peacefully, um, Alaris would uh, flip her shawl over her head, um, look around, and then take the ticket out of his pocket. Uh, yeah, you don't see it there uh, before you, you pick it up, but obviously a uh, a small purple butterfly has like already landed on it and is like... <laughs> over here, over here. It's like, it's, and it's glowing. It's like almost burning in your hand, but um, Alaris might not be thinking straight here as if there was some doubt in her mind, it uh, it's com combated by a single thought that uh, that occupies 
your your brain as your footsteps seem to propel you forward and it's it's something that um you don't even have to think about but it's is there is an idea lodged there that if uh botson survived you know what happened to to your uncle's ship then perhaps others survived or maybe even uncle olivier survived as well um but yeah do does she even return home to retrieve more belongings or are you bound for the docks bound for wherever the ship is going my bag is packed and I'm ready to go. I, I don't think she would go back. I mean, she's said goodbye to her parents. They are distraught anyway and mm-hmm. wouldn't even share with her the news of her uncle. I mean, I think she'd be a little miffed at that. Yeah. Um, and it honestly, sees her sees her chance to get out um, and <laughs> away from uh, from this life and from this path. Um, so yeah, uh, you can uh, send postcards that say you're you're at this nunnery already <laughs> if you want later <laughs> on but for right now yeah you've you've got everything you need and are are slipping away off on an adventure uh we see once more uh Alaris kind of rushing through the streets of of Magna Mar past these toppled monuments and statues perhaps for the last time but you remember all you could smell at that point was not the the stinky medieval city streets but the the sweet sea air kind of blowing in over the other foul odors here, just salt and seaweed. And then as you get closer to the ships, that of, of pitch and tar and wood. But before you know it, while there was solid ground of a ship's deck beneath your feet, you felt the, the ocean bumping uh, beneath that as a lump in your throat, maybe of, uh, you know, looking back on, on Magnum Mar for the last time, kind of uh, rears its head, but, um, yeah, just casting off everything that has held you back for, for several years. And in that same heartbeat, you kind of catch the wind in your face, looking back behind your ship and indeed can see the the city where you grew up, where you were born, just growing smaller and smaller in the distance. And that same wind that hits your face is filling the sails above you, sending you careening on an adventure ahead of untold joys and pains. You would go on to, in the coming weeks, it was for in montage mode again, explore the coastline and, and uh, heading south, hop several vessels, eventually you're making your way past the, the Eye of Abendago, past this huge, churning, unmoving hurricane, uh, and get into the shackles, the southern ocean here, coming to the one place that you think you might be able to find out more information about your uncle's disastrous voyage, Whatever fate as well lies ahead for Alaris in the pirate capital of Port Peril. But that, of course, is a tale for another time, as that is the end of this week's episode. How exciting. This is fun. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. To be continued is played out. It's. <laughs> but that's a tale for another time from here on out, as that like is it. some classy princess bride style ending right there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rebecca, how are you doing? Pretty good. Post-episode I, I talk time. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, uh, I have, honestly, I feel like I have a better handle on, like, who Alaris is now. This is very, very helpful for me. Um, it's, you can, it's different. You can write pages of backstory, but until you kind of, like, plop into the, the driver's seat <laughs> and have someone else steering the world around you, you know, it's a, it's a different thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing for me. I think I obviously I and our listeners probably have a better idea. Are you excited about some Alaris action? Oh, I'm very excited. Yeah, I, I, she's she's a little bit different from any of my other characters that I've played. And um, I'm actually really excited. I wasn't super excited at first about this aspect, but the religious aspect of, of her um, faith to, to Desna being a really big part of her identity, that's something that I haven't really done uh, with a character before too. So I'm, I'm excited to explore that uh, yeah. component. Yeah, Desna definitely favors people that go out there and make their their luck their own take luck in their own hands but is she lucky enough to be able to prosper in a world of danger and piracy of the the shackled seas we will find out (laughs) (laughs) she's Uh, gonna have to get savvy real fast (laughs) are you excited about the uh second edition pathfinder role-playing game system i am honestly i cannot yeah i I need, it's been honestly so long since I filled up my character sheet. I feel like I need to go and do it again. <laughs> We've been in um, prep for this for some time, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what Playing it is completely different from talking about it. For sure. Well, the same thing was true of, of Starfinder and I mean, everything else. So yeah, I, I think we'll learn as we go. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And if it is... It's because of the players and maybe a little bit about me, but because our Patreon subscribers out there are amazing and they want to hear us play an amazing story, and that's Skull and Shackles. Uh, It requires their support, yes, but I would be remiss without thanking you for one, bringing this character and many others to life on the podcast, Uh, but also thanking you for making the podcast run. Uh, A lot of people maybe don't know this, but you do the episode um, title cards uh, for for Cosmic Crits in 2017. You've been the website administrator, the podcast publisher behind the scenes. So if there is someone out there right now listening to this, it is Rebecca's doing. (laughs) So thank (laughs) thank everyone. uh, Everyone out there should thank you as well. Uh, But I thank you for that. And as I always end the episodes, I want to thank you formally for playing with me. Yes, and thank you. Uh, and out there, thanks for listening, folks. And we'll see you back here for more pirate action again soon. So long. Pirates ahoy!
Dead Men Roll No Crits is sponsored by the Cosmic Crit Patreon. Each episode is published to the public on a seven to eight month delay. To catch up on the show and get access to new episodes on initial release, make a monthly pledge on the Cosmic Crit Patreon page.